Welcome to a special live Catfish Best Source. Live for the first time for the whole show ever from the studios of Grand Forks Best Source. Welcome to Catfish Best Source presented by Half Brothers Brewing. I am your host, Brad Durek. We have a special show here. I really have no idea what we're about to do. We're going to have a fly by the seat of your pants <clears throat> show tonight. Quick reminder to sign up for our Super Clean Contest over on Brad Derrick Outdoors on Facebook. Just simply go there, find that pinned Super Clean logo at the top. Looks just like the one you have on your screen right now. Go into the comments and type in catfish, and you're entered for our next thing. Tonight, something very special. We have someone from... Who's going to be a guest host, actually, eventually. I don't know what I'm getting into here. Uh, recently retired from the Air Force, active in Hometown Hero Outdoors. He was a fan back when Brad Dawkins and I were doing Why Fish Radio back in the early 2000s. I've fished with him many times in many places. Mr. John Falk, welcome aboard. Welcome, Brad. Good to see you tonight. This is going to be pretty crazy, I'm guessing, so... Stay tuned, everybody. We also have another guest. If you notice, I skipped the Half Brothers intro for the time being. We have special guest from Half Brothers in the studio with us, General Manager Jeremy Hain. Welcome aboard, sir. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You ever been on a podcast before? Uh, no, this is it. This is the first time. So, oh, we got the first time. Huh? Are you nervous? Yeah. No. Good. No, I talk to people all day long for a living, so it's really nothing different except there's just you guys. So that's not 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 in too bad. a little studio. Little studios. So um, let's talk beer for a minute. Bef- actually, talk about the tap room of Half Brothers that you operate downtown, and tell us what you guys offer because I keep saying seventeen North Third Street, Grand Forks, and these guys really know how to brew beer. Well, you live it, man. So talk about it. <laughs> uh, uh, we do. We do. Um, the company's been around for five years now. Last October was the five-year anniversary of Half Brothers. Um, Chad is our head brewer, brainchild, uh, founder of all of this. Um, the man is an amazing guy to work with. Um, but what we do is we, we make craft beer. We make craft food. Um, our food, whether it's our pizzas, our pizza rolls, our chicken wings, our sauces, everything we make from scratch in the building. I like to think that the the time and effort we put in our beer, we like to put back into our food that we give to the people in the in, in the public. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but yeah, just a cool little place, small little tap room. You know, we are family friendly, so kids are more than welcome to come join us at any time, um, which is one of the nice things that we offer in the downtown area that not a lot of places get to offer that. So, um, but yeah, if you get an opportunity, to stop in. You most likely run into me. I'm I'm always there, and it never feels like work when I'm there. So. Are you sure? You're not always there because I've missed you the last two times I was over there. Because you might have had to go home once in a while. You know, right? I do. I do. <laughs> the, the, the wife and kid like to see me every now and then, so it's kind of it's kind of fun. Um, but the rest of my time, I have no problem being there. So you brought us some samples today. I, I want to talk about that a little bit. We've got let's see. I'm on my camera here. We got Double Trouble, which is a uh, Juicy IPA. Nice eight percenter that goes down nice and easy. Yes, sir. Uh, one of my favorites. Pink fluffy unicorns dancing on rainbows. As I've stated, not a huge fan of the name, but a huge fan of the beer. Yes. And then this new one just came out, and I'm, we're going to talk more about this, this Elder Emo IPA. And yes. this one, 
I, I'm, I've, I say it every time, every week on this show, I'm not an IPA guy. And I'm okay. starting to get to be one because I really like Double Trouble. We'll, we'll change that. Now, this, this new one is a West Coast IPA. Yes. And I'm new to it, as I've said. So please explain the difference in the IPAs for me and everybody else. Okay, so a West Coast, traditional West Coast IPA, um, they're going to be crisp, clean, and super bitter. Uh, when you hold, when you pour it in a glass, you hold it up to light, you can actually see through it like you would, a, a, almost like a domestic. Now, the hazies and juicies, which is the, what the double treble is, that is going to be really hazy. You're going to get more of the fruit flavors from the hops versus the bittering side of the hops. Um, both very, very different types of beer. Um, what we've been doing with our the last two West Coast style IPAs actually, believe it or not, bring me back to when I would drink beer in Seattle 15 years ago. Crisp, clean, pour in the glass. It looks like a domestic. People go, "Oh, what are you drinking? Our classic?" No, no, crisp, clean, bitter. Um, hazies. Instead of the bittering agent of the hops, we go more for the juiciness, flavorfulness of it, um, the aroma of it. So, yeah, just two totally different spectrums of IPAs. So you talked about Seattle. Now we should probably tell everybody that you uh, are a West Coaster. I am. And made your way to North Dakota. I did. I did. People ask how and why. I'm like, oh, you know, it's a long story. But I'm here. I've enjoyed every moment of being here. So Wonderful. John, I saw you eyeing that unicorn. You know you can't open that. It looks like a beautiful You know you can open that and, and, and taste it and enjoy it. I, yeah. lo- I love all the labels. Yes. The art that goes into them, everything's best of its own. Yeah, our artist um, who does all of our labels is, is <laughs> does a great job. Um, they originally started off as all the labels were inside of a pint glass. And as the company's growing and gotten bigger, we were like, well, let's make the labels bigger so they stand out even more. Now, the neat thing that a lot of people don't know about these labels is that when they are in a package and sitting next to each other as a four-pack, they literally lift that up a little bit so everybody can see. They it. were literally, hold on, that one right there. That they will literally make the whole entire label as the cans are sitting next to each other. So kind of a neat thing when you walk in a store that, you know, it is big, it is loud, um, but when the cans are next to each other, you can literally see from one side to the other other labels. And we actually purposely put them in the four packs, in the cases before we even send them out of the building. So while I'm sitting here watching, John, what do you think, by the way, sir? So I think I can count the number of beers I've drank with you on one hand. I don't drink beer at all. Okay. I don't. I'm a whiskey guy. I'm a bourbon guy. I like this. Yeah. This is totally not beer for me. No, it's it, and it's six percent. It's it's awesome. This is great. <laughs> the third one gets you. Well, let's get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I brought two, so I mean, feel free. Two, I've had I've had there. my fair share of these things. So. So the question now is, which one am I? Do I want? To? What do you think? Well, I mean, you I might have seen you once or twice in the tap room, so well, I, I do know you like the fluffy. But me personally, I am going for the elder emo because like I said, my favorite. Double trouble. Here, you know what? You do the emo. I'll okay. do the double trouble this time. We have time. two of them. I know. Don't worry. We have time, too. All right, gentlemen. Cheers here best Cheers. Catfish best source brought to you by Half Brothers. So one last question for our friend Jeremy here, and he's free to ditch us or have beers with us and talk to us or whatever oh, he wants I'll, to I'll do. I'll finish a beer. Like, I can't open a beer and leave. That's just I wouldn't wrong. expect that. Um, 
You're not a big fisherman, I understand. Um, Tell me about your fishing prowess <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started off as a child, and I'd throw rocks in the river or the lake, and my dad would get really bad at me. So fishing wasn't always the best. But as I've gone older, um, my brother-in-law did take me ice fishing last uh, last winter, and I truly enjoyed it. I had a great time doing it, um, even though that the ice house blew away with me in the ice house. That's a, that, that was fun. Um, so my second adventure of fishing is I went and I was like, cool, I'm going to go buy fishing stuff. Cause you know, it's easy to do. It's simple. My cut, my step, or my brother-in-law went you with me. You're in this guy, John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I drink beer. Okay, man. That's what I do. So, <laughs> so, right. I'm good at it. So my brother-in-law took me to a store to go buy fishing stuff. I said, what do I need? He goes, I don't know. Just buy stuff. I was like, uh, you, you know, I don't know anything about this. He's like, just buy stuff. It's fine. So I bought stuff. First time fishing, I went down like a 30-foot embankment I, on purpose. Found out that my tackle box holds three 16-ounce cans in it, so that worked out pretty good. Uh, so I bought the right size tackle box to start with. Um, I hit a bird. I caught a stick. I broke the tip off my pole. Um, I spilled a beer. Uh, I slid back down the hill three times trying to get back out of the, the hole that I was down inside of. For some reason, I thought that that was a great place to go fishing, not knowing anything about fishing. Uh, so I call it a success. I call it a success. And I want to buy another pole. And I still haven't used it. You can get you another pole. <laughs> so, That's the thing. They sell them everywhere. It's I know. Like I know. Gas station? Pole. Um, so I'm looking forward to this summer uh, getting out on the boat with you or Chad or <laughs> Phil that I work with also. Um, they're all avid fishers, so fishermen. So I would love to go and drink a beer and make you laugh while you're watching me be well, an idiot. hopefully... I don't have to pack my whole five-month season into three months like I did last year, which I'm not a huge fan of. So let's uh, we're going to get on to our next fun part. What are you looking at, John? I'm actually going to say, so Half Brothers, by the way, has amazing food. Oh, yeah. They have yeah. the pizza rolls. Yeah. Like imagine a cinnamon roll but made with like pepperoni and marinara with cheese in it. So that's that's our go-to every time we're downtown. We're like, can we get pizza rolls today? My wife says yes. I've had people look at me and go, so like Tostinos? I'm like, no, 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 nothing like, like that. Yeah, I kind of, that's the first time we expected it. I was like, oh, pizza rolls would be okay. And they're probably, he's like, they're homemade. I'm like, oh, cool, they're homemade. Yeah. Little, no. Full on, big, giant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are, they're good. They're quite delicious. Um, we have a very small menu, you know, oh, and, and but I think we do it right. You yeah, know, we don't need, we don't need 50 items on a menu. It, it, to me, you lose what you do at that point in time. So since we're going to talk about Half Brothers food for a minute, here's how you do it. You order the pizza, or not, now you got me on pizza rolls. <laughs> <laughs> you order the pretzel bites, and then you order the slice of pizza, which is about the size of a regular pizza anyways. Yeah. And yeah. then you save your cheese that's left over <laughs> from your pretzel bites, and you dip the crust into it to use up the last of the cheese. You do you know that you your... can just order a side of cheese, beer cheese, right? Why the hell would I do right. that when I can have a whole thing of pretzel bites, too? Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, sales. You're making sales. Yeah, no, that's the point, is, is trying to get people a good product and, mm-hmm. and make a dollar while we're doing it. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about chiller bait tanks here real quick, and then I'm going to get on to a surprise, and you, you're probably going to have a second beverage and hang with us, I'm, I'm guessing here. So. There, there might be that opportunity, yeah. Everyone in catfishing knows that fresh bait is a key to better success. Keep your 
bait fresh and alive longer with chiller bait tanks. Chiller bait tanks are the only fully insulated rotomold tank on the market, making them the most durable tank on the market. Chiller bait tank offers the patent-pending operating system-controlled gases for marine storage tanks. Our tank offers off-chamber aeration. What is that, you ask? Air is comprised of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. We're focused on the 21% oxygen. We extract that oxygen into our pump bay, confining to bubble agitation and the oxygenated water pumped throughout the tank, keeping your fish alive longer. Available in 30 and 45-gallon tank models. Both include free shipping. Each tank includes three-stage quick-change filter and customizable power cord. Chiller bait tanks are compact and durable, give you... Many years of worry-free bait keeping. For more information or to buy your last bait tank now, check them out at chillerbaittank.com. Producer Dale, do we have an issue with sound or something? Stand by. Having a microphone issue. Hey, um, sorry for jumping in here. Can, can you guys hear the audio better on this microphone a little better or on John's microphone? Or on this microphone better. I, I think it's that one. This one? All right, why don't you... Put that one to the side there, and we'll put John on this microphone. Right. How's that sounding better for you guys? All right, let's try this one out. I can hear great. I see we have a okay. comment yeah, here works. from Joe says he's hard to hear. So hopefully we got that fixed. Give us a thumbs up here. Thank you, everyone, for the feedback in the chat. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's for. All right. Without further ado, I'm no longer the host. You're now hosted by the one the only John Falk. Let's go. Surprise. <laughs> so He's been the, wanting to do this for two years, so here we are. So Brad asked for ideas. What are we going to do for a show? What are we going to do for a show? And I said, well, it's probably about time that we interview the guy who runs the show. I mean, let's find out about this guy, what he does in the off season, what he does in the regular season. What he does in the off season is yeah, right. Well, uh, <laughs> and maybe what his top three brews are from Half Brothers. I mean, these are questions people want to know. Plus, they're going to tell us in the chat here real soon. Uh, top three brews, um, Unicorns for sure, Nodak 23's got to be right up there. Beautiful Vienna-style lager. And I don't know, the third one changes day to day. Yeah. It's hard to say. What about the pickle beers that have come out? I'm sorry, that one does not work for me. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, it's I, a fan favorite. Ironically, I'm actually, uh, Chad just messaged me and was like, hey, uh, can you go run by and pick up some pickle juice from this place? They need us to pick it up. And so um, on a side note to that, if you see Pickle Rickle, which is one of the most ridiculous beers I've ever seen, because it sells, 136 cases I watched disappear in literally an hour and like 25 minutes. Yeah, we showed up at 4 o'clock that day. Yeah, that yeah. Sorry. It, it, yeah, just hand cart after hand cart taking beer out. Um, but okay, so a side note, when you see that beer on tap someplace, the only way to get that beer on tap is if you donate pickle juice to us. So when you see these, when you see it on tap someplace, thank them. Cause if it wasn't for all these other businesses that allow, let us have their pickle juice, um, it would take a lot longer to make that beer. Because we're learning all kinds of stuff today. I don't know. It's like brewing 101, right? <laughs> well, I mean. Or BSing 101, I mean, you know, whatever. So eventually we got to have a catfish beer. Um, we are actually discussing it. We just can't right, seem to come up with... Everybody forget about that until we come up with the right thing. Well, no. I mean, you think about it. Like, okay, you're on the water, right? So something crisp, something clean, something around the 4.5%, you know, makes it easier to maybe we'll have a couple of them while you're out and about versus these 8 percenters that after your third one, you're kind of like, I don't want to fish anymore. Or you're worried about falling over the boat. You know, one of the two is going to happen. 
But if you're not sure, you want eight percent, right? You could still fall in the water. Oh, you got a good point. Or have to climb back up thirty foot. Yeah, I've been there. Do not take nine percent beers with you when you go down a thirty foot embankment. Okay, Mr. Falk, carry on. Well, Brad, thanks for having me and letting me stand in for Catfish Bet Source today. Um, everybody, we're going to interview Mr. Captain Brad Durick, uh, get to know him a little bit. So let's start with where are you from originally? I mean, where where do you hail from? Because it's not Grand Forks, I know. Well, I grew up in the little town of Bulbells, North Dakota, up in the northwest corner, which is northwest of Minot, uh, seven miles from Canada and about 40 miles from Montana. On a little farm as we used to call it in the boonies so i i <coughs> still so are. yeah yeah it still is or i don't know if you want to swap places with jeremy for a yeah, little bit while you do it yeah so, sorry about this guys yeah so then all right we have a couple microphones uh acting up on us so sorry about that for the intrusion there so john's gonna swap out your oh live tv this is what happens on thursdays everybody well you do sound much better switching over there yeah all right, try again. I sounded great in my Thanks, own guys. Okay, back to the... All right. Nice shirt, by the way. Thanks, friend. I got it from a great friend of mine. <laughs> so, uh, from Bow Bells up by Montana, Canadian border. Yep. Uh, what'd you do out that way? I grew up on a farm. Okay. Cows, dogs, pigs, cow, uh, farming, football. That's what we did. All that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, and then grow up in the outdoors. Were you always outside? Were you hunting? Were you fishing? Well, when you're a farm kid, you're always outside. That's there's the no, uh, there's no getting around that. So, uh, hunting and fishing, a little bit of hunting, fishing was a complete afterthought until college. Well, let's let's talk about that. Where where did you start fishing? What was the first fish you caught? Um, well, uh, pike somewhere in Minnesota. I don't remember the lake wasn't very big was with a girlfriend at the time her dad and it's like well i'm gonna fish i guess if i'm gonna ride around and caught that one fish i was probably 22 years old 21 something like that and pretty much all downhill from there so you said you came to college that's here in grand forks yep. is that how you got to grand forks UND, go sue go sue all right and then so first fish was a pike how did we get into fishing fishing i mean was that your initial love did somebody help you out teach you well what you're from doing? there i was picking stuff up at that point you didn't have the internet so it was read everything you could get you know that's back when sunday morning fox sports or ms what, what was it back then uh uh i want to say msg but that's wrong yeah no midwest sports channel yeah yeah that's i think what it was yep. and then tnt yep and tnt national network tnt tnn TNN, there you yep. go. So watching everything in Fisherman, of course, you're reading that. You're reading Midwest Outdoors. You're reading whatever you can get on and going out to your neck of the woods to Laramore and doing the bluegill thing. And yeah. I mean, I used to catch 10-inch bluegills and didn't have any idea what I was catching. <laughs> so that's about as pathetic as it gets. <laughs> All right, so jumping into it a little bit here and there, when did you start catfishing? Um, what brought you into well, catfishing? That, that story was actually told last season on this by my good friend Rob Horkin, a.k.a. Ernie the Angler on WDAZ. He was, we were going to Devil's Lake fishing every week, and uh, he goes, you know, the river's in town, you should try the catfish, and he took me out there. I, re- I can take you right to the spot. It was about six pounds on a walleye rod with some fire line, and it was just, uh, that was it for me. It was catfish, catfish, catfish from that moment on, and uh, here we are. 
well over 20 years later. <laughs> so I know that moved into your first boat that you had. What did you start with, with for a first boat? How'd you come oh, across no, that? Oh, no, no, no. I had a boat still already then. I had yeah. already had that first Crestliner, which I don't even know if you saw that one. Um, I had a 2001 Crestliner, I think, when we first started really catfishing. And then it moved into my 03, and then we got moved on to G3 and started with the John boats and everything. And Guys, now, I started in that little 14-foot red boat with you. Is that the yeah, that well, that was my river boat. Yeah, I had one the, even before that. Oh, jeez. I had another 14 below before that. So if you want to hear another story for another day, Jason Lama and I tried to sink that twice. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the story, and I'd love to hear it again because it's great. <laughs> but we'll do that another day. Um, so full-time guiding, how long have you been guiding now? Is this- We're starting season number 16, in fact, I just completed getting all my paperwork in for my fourth Coast Guard license today. Nice. So hopefully I'm still Captain Brad in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so what made you start guiding? What was the, what was the life moment that said, hey, I can, I can make a living doing this, or I'm going to attempt to at least get some people out? Well, you know, Kent Hollins was the original guide in town. Great dude. That dude can smell catfish. I, I, I'm telling you, and you know him, yeah. but uh, he started guiding. I was doing a lot of scouting for him. I was still learning, and I just got such a kick out of taking people fishing and seeing their reaction to it. And, I mean, when I started guiding, I'm just going to flat out say it, when I started guiding, I thought I knew how to catch fish. I was very wrong. Uh, there was a lot of good old-fashioned ass whippings out there to learn and get better and and that's you know i guess that's what separates you is can you overcome so how do you measure your first year i mean your end of your first year i you'd say you take a lot of a lot of whoopings in there how do you how do you measure a year that first year initially and then how do you measure years of in success or, or rates from there well, i'm gonna bunch the first three years together okay inconsistent mm-hmm. um you could get on a monstrous bite i mean just a quick Side note, you, me, and Nick Lukow in 2008, my first year guiding, we had a big bite going, and I'll tell the whole story since I got it started. So it snowed that morning. Nick came up from Fargo, and he jumped in, and it was cold. It was like coveralls, beanie. Yeah, it was cold. I believe you had a broken knee or something at that time. Shouldn't even have been in a boat. Anyways... Nick goes, how far are we going? I got to bundle up. We said, bundle up, we'll wait. Okay, zip, and he's got his eyes sticking out. And I drove across the river from the ramp about 60 yards, and I said, okay, Nick, throw the anchor, we're here. And we proceeded to absolutely slam him. But after that, he's laughing. I got to throw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am. Right there. That's quite hilarious. I'm like, yeah, we're going to go on a long drive. Two minutes. <laughs> it was like 30 seconds. <laughs> In reverse. It doesn't happen like that all the time, though. So anyways, that was a big bite. We were figuring out some of those big spring bites, but then summer would come, the spawn would come, and, you know, what do you do then? 2009, we were really smoking them, and the water would come up real fast and down real fast, and that's, you know, why were they here today and not tomorrow? Why were they here yesterday? You know, things like that. And that's where the real learning and and things had to come into play. Or you're not going to last very long having huge, huge days and then kaputski the rest of the time. So that really uh, 
kind of was the turning point into into my career, so to speak. So that gets us through eight, nine, and ten. Eleven, you start putting together. I mean, eleven got a little it? bit of pattern. You got consistent clients by this point. I'm going oh, yeah, to. Oh yeah, we got a few. I mean, Terry mm-hmm. Luring's been with me since day one. They're from Devil's Lake. They've missed one season in fifteen. They're usually here twice. So, I mean, you get people like that, you start getting a lot of close friends. I think it was eleven when Rod from uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, started coming. He missed a couple years in there, but very consistent. And you know, from the, about two thousand. 12 and 13, that's when the repeats, that's when things really took off as far as getting the family, so to speak. Okay. So, again, how do you measure a year in success? You can say I catch, I mean, you've talked to me about tonnage of fish. Every year's different. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And it Every year's different. depends on high water, low water. What's your best season is so far for tons of fish? Uh, just about 13. Tons. Tons. Tons of fish. That's... Yeah, you know how a ton works. That's like 11 <laughs> Priuses of catfish. <laughs> Something like that. That's incredible. <laughs> I got to show Jeremy. He always starts That's... laughing over here. No, uh... Sorry to interject once, but can you hear better on this microphone right now? I can... No. No? No, not on this one? No. Okay. Leave us alone, Dale. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the best season I had ever was last year, 2000, not last year, now, 2021, the low water year. I broke more gear than I've ever broke. I've had a more condensed season than I've ever had, and I caught more fish and more tons than I've ever seen. I just flat out ran out of water and lost half the season. Was it a good year? I would say yes and no. I would have rather had a whole year and consistent fishing than gangbusters for six weeks and nothing. So for years, you and I have talked about how the water flows, how it's do, what it's doing when it's high, what it's doing when it's low. With your low water year in 2021, I know you got to do a lot of kayaking on the river and got to look at a lot of different things and found some cool stuff, but how, what did you learn or how did that show you what's going on in the river? Well, running the kayak in the, below the dam in Grand Forks was, uh, there's spots when it gets low that I'm scared of now. Okay, we got a question. I have a, I have a question. So the dam, now, mind you, I've been in Grand Forks since June first. The dam is that that like little ripple yes. of water? What is it damming? It's keeping the water level higher for our water intakes. Okay, I was just for the city. Yep. I saw that. I'm like, my wife goes, "That's a dam." I'm like, it doesn't stop the water. It's like, I, I, I could know. Oh, but it keeps it backed up for the water intakes. <laughs> okay. And Drayton has one for the beet plant. We have one for East Grand Forks, Grand Forks, Fargo's got them. So they're all up and down for the water intakes. I, I, I thought maybe there's like another dam someplace that I was missing. Nope, that's oh, the one. That's okay. it. Okay, fair enough. Now I lost my train of thought. So move on, John. <laughs> well, we talked oh, about the high low, water thing. low water and how, how what you learned and the dangers you found, I guess. You know, 2022, we had the flooding that never ended. Correct. And the... Uh, Again, packed a whole season into three months, which I wasn't all that thrilled about. But, you know, the it was one of my favorite seasons because it was one of the most consistent seasons. It wasn't the most fish we've ever caught. It wasn't the most tons we ever caught. But I can only think of one kind of bad day the whole year, and the fish were big. I mean, we even had a, a die-off in the middle of July, and there was so many big fish in the system that we didn't even notice it in our catch rates. 
And so 2022 is very high on the list for that reason of consistency. 2018 is pretty high on the list for consistency. Uh, you know, so every year has its unique uniqueness. But in my case, I want happy people that come back. That's the key to success right there, I think. So we spent a lot of time in the boat doing one thing in particular early in the season every year, and that's mapping. Mapping, baby. How has electronic mapping changed the way you fish? Well, if you happen to watch the uh, James Linder show last season, he was pointing out that he thinks that's one of the more valuable tools of electronics, and to me that's a life changer. I think the uh, ability to make a map in an unmapped piece of water is a life changer. I know where the drop-offs are. I know where the heads and the backs of the holes are. I know where the small holes are, the big holes are. And I've made it my mission to be a master of reading current. And that has coincided with that map to the point where I, that's basically all I use is follow the current, follow the mood of the fish, and utilize that map. And it's a lot of work to make those. You know that because you spent a day with me. I spent two days by myself doing that for a whole day, and it's boring. But the information you gain from it is unbelievable. Well, it's, inc- it's absolutely incredible what you can gain from, from looking at the map and learning how to read it and how the water runs. Um, going with that, we're going to talk about boat control, uh, especially anchoring. So what tips, tactics do you have for anchoring, boat control? What's, what do you have in there? Well, first off, get yourself a Cat River anchor in this river because it grabs the mud, grabs the bottom a little bit better. And uh, make sure you have a lot of rope. I see a couple different mistakes on people. They don't have a enough anchor or the right anchor, or they have a heavy enough anchor but not enough rope, and they catch that current and it drags them. Mm-hmm. Now, a low-water year like 21, anchor didn't matter. Um, you know, you could throw your sister overboard and it'd hold you in place but uh in fact half the time you just hit a sandbar and sit on it but that uh the anchoring thing i mean with the cat river it's gonna stick get enough rope out it's gonna put you where you want to be put then from there it's just identifying what side of the current you want to be on and that's where things get a little bit tricky is identifying that current it's all practice I love the Cat River anchors. We have one in our boat. Ours happens to be pink because who doesn't love a pink anchor? Um, great shipping that they have for them. Uh, let's go through your gear um, that you have for guiding. Let's start with your boat. What are you running? Let him in, Dale. Our good friend Brad Dawkins from the Grand Forks Herald is showing up. Might even come on the air with us a little bit. Uh, equipment, I run a set of ugly stick seven-foot medium heavy rods with a Abu Garcia reel. And a uh, Berkeley Big Game 30-pound line with a hook, usually a 2 to 4-ounce sinker, and then the bait of the, bait of the day, I guess. The bait of the day. What do you do for bait storage? Well, bait storage is a pain. <laughs> so I have tanks. Uh, I purchase my bait at the local bait shop, and... Uh, I buy a lot and I store it. We're allowed up to 250 suckers in North Dakota. I usually don't need more than that. And then I can store it for up to a week and uh, go from there. Are you coming on the air with us? Grab a microphone. Um, you may have to, you may, you may have to unfortunately pass your microphone back. Okay. Sorry about that. Try it out, Brad. Well, I'm pretty loud. Does it work? I can hear it. Okay. Perfect. 
How yeah. you doing? Thanks for coming over. Yeah, a little late to the party here, but just got off the clock, so uh, had a little bit of your show and figured I might as well just run over here. So, John's in charge, so I'll let him ask you a few questions now that he's here. <laughs> I actually was pretty happy Mr. Dawkins showed up, because it's going to tie both of you in. Um, back in the day, one of the first podcasts in America was brought to you by Brad and Brad of Why Fish Radio. That's us. Um, where'd, where'd the idea come from, Mr. Dawkins? You know, I'm trying to think. I I think it was hatched over a trip to Upper Red Lake, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. We kind of talked about doing something, and uh, Brad kind of took the reins on it and uh, led the charge, and uh, I followed up. So, Brad, I'll kind of let you take it from there. The on. name, the name was, uh, well, it was a lot of beer for the name, and then uh, we were with uh, Dave White Sock, who was. In town at the time, Scott McNamee, they were working on an internet web company. And uh, we kind of got everything together. And this little podcast, and we didn't know what it was, and it turns out we were the very first fishing podcast ever in the world. And it was a big enough deal that the New York Times flew to Grand Forks to talk to us. And that article's still out there. I, I remember you guys posting it at the time and seeing it on a forum and it was one of the ways i found why fish radio was through a fishing forum which were very popular in the mid 2000s there for for a long time and it's it's what led me to meet why fish radio and then meet both of you guys it was exactly. that darn jumper question is what it was, it was. the jumper question <laughs> well, I, uh, I actually still have a copy of that paper so do i yeah that's awesome what do you think there jeremy well, I uh, I think this young man over here doesn't have a beer. But... Oh, what do you what do you want? We have so, double trouble. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pass on the beer for now, but uh, appreciate the offer. It, it's just my mo. Like I, I see someone without a beer, and uh, I, gotta, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta fix it. Like, it's a problem. Like, He's a yep. beer tender. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Carry on, John. So, Why Fish Radio started on a crazy hatch. What was the purpose of Why Fish Radio? Well, what were we doing with with Why Fish Radio? Well, he's a, the outdoor writer at the Grand Forks Herald and has been there for. I mean, that's been your job for over thirty years, I think now, right? Well, I've been doing outdoor since nineteen ninety eight, so twenty five years. Twenty five years in outdoor yeah, page. Just doing outdoors. So we were talking about something that was forgotten, and I'm as guilty as anybody being a guide. But we wanted to take it back a step. For a guy starting out like Jeremy, that you don't have to have a $60,000 boat and a $60,000 truck to pull it, and you don't need to have $250 rods and reels, that you can you know, buy equipment that's good, good equipment, but not spend a fortune on it, and you can still enjoy fishing with that equipment, and you don't have to go across the earth to, to get it, and... You know, we were pretty popular for a while. What ultimately put us out was it was so far ahead of its time, we couldn't get the sponsors to, to pay for the the bandwidth because we had to buy bandwidth in those days. Yeah, I think the technology was pretty primitive. There was a, you know, a lot of the platforms that, uh, you know, people kind of take for granted now just weren't there at the time. Right. I mean, you had to actually record the show then upload the show individually to each place you did. And then those days it was iTunes. That was it. And then you had to go in and you had to manually put everything in there into the RSS feeds. And it was very time-consuming. Now you can download an app on your phone, 
record a podcast in your bathroom and have it live on 25 different platforms in a matter of minutes. And the, the idea of a studio like Grand Forks Best say, Dale, was, Dale does not think that it's that easy. He, <laughs> he knows that you can't just do that. Come down to Grand Forks Best Source. See what they do. It's pretty amazing how they the studio they have here for podcasts, the technology. It's, it's a good deal. And these new chairs are unbelievable. They bounce a lot. <laughs> yeah, Dale's having a rough night, I think. He's shaking his head laughing over here. Um, how long did it last? Um, I know three it, years. Was it three years? Basically, three years we we made it, and we were we tried to do every week. We did a show, two shows at a time, and uh, it just kind of burned out. But we would, you know, we'd end up on a trip. We'd miss a few weeks. There was really no set schedule. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I do the season the way I do it here is simply because you run out of things to talk about, and thirteen to seventeen weeks you can set a schedule. And have an interesting podcast as you as you plow forward. Oh, excellent! I know you guys did over a hundred episodes. Um, it's still out there online. It's still today. out there. Yep. I think. Can you get to it through? I think it's still your, all on y-fish.com. Yeah, I believe it is all still up there. <laughs> and it was. I mean, it was basically a bull session. You know, we kind of flew by the seat of our pants. We sometimes we kind of had an idea what we were going to talk about going in. Um, you know, we did have some guests on that we interviewed, did some things like that, but. Uh, I think more than anything else, it was just an excuse to talk fishing. You know, I don't think any of us ever tried to claim we were experts, because at least in my case, I'm certainly not. But, uh, you know, I can tell a story, and, and uh, you know, fish stories is kind of what we did best. Well, right, and it was our adventures. We went on a lot more trips back then than we do now. And part of that's, you know, my guiding and, you know, life getting in the way, but... Uh, we went on a lot of trips and told a lot of stories, and you know, like I said before, guiding. It's a full four years before guiding when it started, so a lot's changed in oh, that amount of years. Yeah, definitely. And I think maybe, you know, at least in my case, I was maybe a little more adventurous back then than I am now. You know, I'd be maybe be more apt to, you know, I remember a trip up to Selkirk ice fishing. You know, we're up there, we got fourteen inches of snow, and, and what did we do? We went fishing. No, now we'd probably, <laughs> now we'd probably stay at home. Let's just be home for a week. Or we'd no. sit sit at our friend Jim's and drink beer. Yeah, exactly. I remember a time we were in Selkirk and almost got ran over by a party boat, too. <laughs> I think that was actually our very first, your very was, first trip up there, or you know, our first trip together, really. First hour of first trip. <laughs> almost ran over by a party And boat. here we are two, 20 years later. About, about 10 o'clock at night with a thunderstorm brewing off in the horizon. Yeah, we're watching a thunderstorm, and there's a wall of lights thinking it's a house or whatever off in the distance, and all of a sudden, uh-oh, and I mean, it was it was close. It was uh, closer than here across the hall from the studio, just probably a, about half that, that far. Just a big wall of lights, and it was a great big paddle wheel boat, and it had no intentions of uh, getting out of our way. It was... It knew where it wanted to go, and we were in its path. So it was a bit of a scramble. Dale's working on machinery again. It's always the best when Dale gets in here. Come on, everybody. We'll take some questions and some comments and whatever. We got got it sitting here if you want to. All right. Try that. The old unplug replug. Hey, if it's... Jeremy, Brad, how do you sound? I sound great. How about you, Jeremy? Uh, I like to think I sound fabulous. Not really. Well, thank you. <laughs> I want to give you more beer. <laughs> Try airs. Yeah, he We're seemed a little bit soft. I yeah. can't tell. If, uh, 
And we got them cranked up too. It's just I'm not. Here or not. I can talk loud. It's just not jiving, but it's good enough. Carry on, John. Well, so the two of you have one thing in common. You both write. Brad, you've been writing for the Herald for years, outdoor section for 25 years now. What got you into journalism? You know, it, it, I didn't go to college thinking that's what I wanted to do. It was sort of a, I, I took a journalism class just as a kind of a general ed class. And uh, as part of the requirements for that class was getting involved with the student newspaper. At Bemidji State, it was called the Northern Student. And there was just kind of a buzz to it that I liked. You know, just sort of the excitement of the newsroom and, you know, being around a bunch of, you know, kind of type A people, and, and uh, there was an excitement about it that just kind of drew me in. And I've always been more of a word guy than a math guy, you know, which means that you don't make as much money, but uh, you do have plenty of fun in the process. Excellent. And, Brad, after you got guiding here, you started to do a little bit of writing. Well, I've written a couple of books. They might not be good books, but I've written them. They're original research. I think they they work because it's what got me to that consistent level that I so strive for. Three books. Give me a rundown of each. We have Cracking the Catfish Code, Advanced Catfishing, and then our favorite is We Don't Flush the Grass. We Don't Flush the Grass. That's just a series of stories for a column I wrote back home. It's basically the first four years of my kid. And I should probably do a version two of it because I got the rest of his life in there as well. <laughs> so, cracking the catfish code. What what prompted you to write it, and what's in there? Well, that was you know I said the first three years up to 2010, and that's 2011 was high water again, and it was just one of those deals where I need to answer questions. And the, you know the whole story goes I had these questions i'm searching the internet and looking for looking at books and i finally got a hold of doug stang in fisherman and said you know what's going on here can you help me out with some of this and he goes well we never really looked into any of that stuff that's kind of above and beyond our scope so i started doing research and figuring things out on it and uh that's it it came into a series of a lot of things i'd answer one question and have five more so here i am with basically 10 topics. So basically what I did is I wrote an article on each topic and that's how the book came together. I figured why give it to somebody when I can put it all in one place in a book. It's a, it's a true choose your own adventure. Like you can hop in a boat, survey what's happening, look it up, follow it to the next step. It's a, it's really a good boat, good book for all that. So next you wrote advanced catfishing, just the second rendition, more in depth. What no, do we have less there? in depth. That's actually the pick your own adventure version of catfish code. Okay. Um, that one, you go into the time of year where you live, figure it out. And then it says, is water rising? Is barometer rising? Or, and then you pick which page you want. And it's got like two paragraphs on what you should be looking at. And that is my day to day run through my puny little head to stay on fish. And it's, you know, that one came out in 2016 and I still use it every day. There's a few things fine tuned on current seams, but for the most part, it's, it is what it is and it's pretty good. Excellent. Brad, you got to do a little bit of editorial work on these books, uh, help out at all. Not or really? For three? Not, yeah, not too much. Uh, a, a colleague of mine at the time, Kevin Grindy, I think did most of the, he did the first one. Yeah. He did most of the heavy list, lifting on the first one. Jill Hobbs did the second one. Okay. And, that's there. Dale, I bet you want some commercials to run, don't you? Sure, absolutely. We should Let's probably do that. Cut to commercial. All right, which, which Brothers Firearms. Brothers Firearms Shop, located in Grand Cities Mall. Buy, sell, trade, 
New and used Firearms Brothers has you covered with anything you need from tons of firearms to silencers and oh yeah, flamethrowers. If you look on the screen right now, you'll see a flamethrower. And Brothers Firearms is veteran-owned. Check out Brothers Firearms in the Grand City Mall and Grand Forks. Open Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturdays noon to 4. Brothers Firearms protecting America since 2015. BrothersFirearmsShop.com And next is my buddy Thunder Ray. Some more flamethrower footage here. Thunder Ray, everyone with a car or truck needs a repair at one time or another. May I recommend Thunder Ray's auto repair in Grand Forks? Ray is a friend of mine, a friend of the show, and a friend of catfishing. When he started his own shop, I knew he'd be great. Just drive by the shop, it's always full of cars, and they, that tells me they are good. We were just there the other day, and they now got three rows of cars waiting to do their get, get worked on, so they're busy. Our families take, started taking all of our service to Ray since he opened. Ray fixes all makes and models. Besides fixing your car or truck, they can mount any tires you want. They can also fix, rotate, and balance tires. In my personal experience, from a few things, they can also pack and replace trailer bearings. You have a camper, Jeremy. You might need that someday. I do. I do, actually. I, uh, believe it or not, I just had my uh, bearings packed a year and a half ago when I decided to drag that thing for 3,600 miles across the country. It's time again. It, it probably is time again. Oil changes, tire changes, brakes, starters, alternators, electrical, and every other thing you can imagine to get fixed on your car, and they can do maintenance. They help. They can even help restore your muscle car. If you want fast, honest service, service think Ray's. Thunder Ray's on North Washington and Grand Forks. For more information or to make your appointment, thunderrays.com. Back to you, John. So let's wrap up talking about books three books where can we find those where are they at currently they're all on amazon right now okay. i Thanks. don't even have them on the website anymore no um but they're all on amazon they can have them to you on prime so piece of cake excellent so biggest challenge writing a book is i'm not a writer <laughs> <laughs> that's classic um so in the past couple of years, you've kind of added a new little thing to your repertoire, and you're starting to be a tournament director for fishing tournaments. Oh, yes. Yes, tournament directing. This is the ninth Shields Boundary Battle this year, if you can believe it. You've been to all eight of the previous ones. Uh, just did the permits on that. We're already full for the next year. Uh, the Catfish Capital Challenge in Drayton is being permitted as we speak. We're getting ready to open that up for entries probably Feb 1. That's the $10,000 guaranteed for first place tournament. So that's a that's a big one, 60 teams max. And then the Moorhead tournament is July 9th. That's a one-day or $120 buy-in. And uh, no, July 8th, sorry, New Year. So that's currently being permitted and set up. So there will be three of them again in 2023. Plus Catfish League, we just got that schedule done. We're running 12 weeks this year from May through the first part of August. Uh, so lots of catfish opportunities in the tournament front if you want to come out and play. So how did you get started in fishing tournaments? What tournaments have you fished catfish and non-catfish? Well, I absolutely suck at tournament fishing, so if you can't do it, you might as well run it. <laughs> might as well be the director then. I, get, I like it. He just giggles over there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, uh, yes, I agree with that statement. You know, if you're not good at it, but you're good at being in charge of something, Take advantage of the situation. Precisely. So um, I had been helping or talking to some of the league guys, um, you know, actually John Roberts from here at Grand Forks Best Source, 
and we did the Cabela's King Cat, and we were talking about doing one through the league, and some things happened at another tournament, and it was like, okay, now's the time. So, you know, that's kind of how it started, and we were the first tournament to bring in the polygraph. If you go back to last week's Catfish Best Source, where we interviewed Derek Zimmel, you know, he's our polygraph guy for that tournament. So that's kind of what set that apart and helped make it what it is. Uh, but I remember the first year you were there. Uh, by the end, I was pulling my hair out saying, never again, and here we are nine years later. Nine years later. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's fun now. I'm established in it. Uh, we've got much better facilities, better scales, better everything. I know what I'm doing. That first time, I didn't have the foggiest idea what I was doing, and thankfully, we pulled it off. So now the problem is everybody that wants new tournaments thinks I have to run it. <laughs> but you have a great reputation with tournaments. Everybody walk comes in, knows exactly what's what they need to do, what times they have to be there. They respect anything that comes down as far as final word on stuff you've got great staff that run your tournaments for you and help you guys out right you know you and josh helped out in those first years when we didn't know what we were doing but one thing that sets me apart is if i have to lay down the law i lay down the law and i mean it's not a big deal everybody's pretty understanding but and we've made mistakes don't get me wrong that first dead fish was a catastrophe because we had never seen it before and we didn't know exactly what we were doing and we've had some slot fish issues over the years, but we got everybody ironed out on that. And the big thing is everybody's treated equal on time, on how their slot fish are handled, on how their dead fish are handled. And then now moving forward, you know, with the past two Drayton times, we, we got the gals. They call themselves the slots. And, uh, you know, they're going to be running all the shows now this year. They're going to run the scales for all of them for 2023 and, um, They've turned out to be just outstanding from record keeping to measuring to weighing to, you know, and they all know what they're doing and are very practiced up. So, you know, I'm really lucky to have a good crew for all this stuff too. Sweet. Um, what's your biggest challenge running a tournament? Well, I get tired of the permitting processes, but it is what it is. Now I'm used to it. And I don't know. I like it. I, I just the last few have run so smooth that, you know, if you ever see me at a tournament standing around not doing much, that means everything's running just perfect. <laughs> you see me running around pulling my hair out, now we have a problem. Then we have a problem. What's your, I guess, when the tournament goes perfect, how are you happy with it? I mean. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you be? Yeah, that's what you're looking for. You're always for. thinking of ways to improve. I mean, I would say. The two big tournaments last year, the Boundary Battle and Shields. And you know what? Moorhead, too. We had a scale debacle in Moorhead, but we lived. And uh, when they run perfect, you're always thinking of ways to improve them. But I think all three last year went pretty much without a hitch. And that high water, we were half inch of rain from not having a Boundary Battle. It was that close, and we made it work. But everything went very, very smoothly. Nobody complained that I can think of. And uh, now with that Lake Erie fiasco and the cheating, that, you know, everybody's thinking again now, what can I do better? But, like, I, you know, the reason I brought Derek Zimmel on this show is I think we had a handle on it years ago, and I think we are ahead of the game in that front. So when that first came up, I mean, I've been helping for a few years. Neighbor Josh has been helping. My wife's been in on it. Um, and you looked at how that went down. And 
we handle the fish. We check to make sure they're alive. I mean, you, we know what a fish is supposed to weigh when it comes across the scale. We have polygraphs in place. I think we do a great job with all that. And, and a lot of that, as soon as it was out, we were like, we answer those questions in what we do when we run a tournament for Brad. Oh, we got a, what do we got here? I found a stringer someone had had set up for the cats tournament. From Andrew Moreland. From Andrew Moreland. Let's see. I found a stringer one year someone had to have had set up for a cats tournament. Unfortunately, that's part of it. But with the polygraph, I think we've got that because it has the fishing within the hours. Did you modify the fish? Um, one of the things we're discussing is, did you catch your own fish? But we don't feel we're to that air, that point yet. But for now, it's we were sticking to the culling and, and that type of thing. And that should catch them in, into the polygraph if they win. And that's unfortunate that that ever happens. You hear about dog cages in walleye tournaments. Um, you obviously were talking about Lake Erie where they were stuffing lead into them. And, you know, what ultimately caught them is... Those fish looked like every other six-pound fish that should have been there. And, I mean, you've seen the scale enough. I've seen the scale enough. Brad's seen scales enough. You know what a 15-pound fish is supposed to look like. You do. And you know what, you know what a slot fish is. And if it needs to be pulled out, to be measured. I mean. That has happened at a tournament, too. I was not part of the tournament. But, believe me, I heard about it because it was a local tournament with a slot fish. So, I mean. You kind of have an idea. You know every tournament in the country is going to be watching all of that a, a lot closer. Are you hearing anything through the channels that you work on and watch on that, or has it kind of died off now? It's kind of died off now, but it was a pretty hot topic there for a while after you know, that incident out on Lake Erie. But, yeah, not so much lately. Well, we were up at your hunting shack when that, ex- that came out, and, I mean, my Facebook got blown up in literally about three minutes that morning in the living room. It was It was... A wild topic when that all happened. Yeah, it's unfortunate it happened, but it brought stuff to light that needed to be talked about, obviously. Right. And I hope every tournament's better for it going forth from here on out because, I mean, the spirit of competition is what everybody wants to do, and being able to do that in a sport you love like fishing is a great thing. The one thing you're going to notice, I think, going forward from everything from a kid's fishing derby to a catfish league to a walleye tournament to whatever you can imagine is all the competitors are going to be watching each other just a little bit closer. Fully agree. Fully agree. And we've always said that it's in the leagues up here in the tournaments, it's not us that you have to worry about if you get caught. It's the other fishermen. Those videos showed exactly that. Those fishermen went off when that came out. Right. I know I'm going to leave names out, but we had a situation a few years ago where a team made a mistake and broke one of the cardinal sins at the boundary battle. And people were, they said people were driving by, and it was like their heads were spinning off their shoulders. And they realized what they had done. And I was on the way out to check on it, and they actually called me. We are not cheaters. We made a mistake. We're sorry. We realize we're disqualified. Please don't ban us. It was an innocent mistake. And, I mean, how do you... You know, thank you for your honesty moving right. on. But it never dawned on me till I talked about that, still no names mentioned to other anglers, and they're like, if you ever got caught cheating, you're the least of their worries because you're just not going to write a check. 
And it never dawned on me till that point. And then that video solidified that. I mean, that tournament director should get a lot of credit for telling everybody to go lay down because that could have got really ugly really, really fast. Definitely, definitely. So it's a question for you now. Who's influenced you being a fishing guide? Who's your big influence in that? Guiding? Oh, boy. You caught me on that one. I never really thought of it for guiding. Um, Obviously, Kent's the one that got me into it, and then I kind of went off on my own. Boy, I don't know. I just haven't fished with that many guides to even really answer these. Is you coming? Anybody coming to your mind? I mean, you've been around for this whole adventure. Yeah, not anybody that I would say you know that would be an influence on you. No. I mean, as far as guiding, I mean, you you learn something from everyone. You kind of have to find your own niche to be a professional, and there really isn't that many guides around here. That's a really difficult one i'm gonna have to think about that john that's a good one it's good thanks for that one (laughs) so now i'm gonna go to you and brad i'm gonna jump back and forth we'll start with mr Dawkins. it'll be the same question for both of you what's your most important piece of equipment when you go fishing i mean what's something that you're like this is one thing every angler needs to have well a fishing rod's kind of a good start (laughs) well okay but what what are you looking for in a fishing rod right there what do you want in it and what do you want in a catfish rod in a catfish rod Oh, You're by- asking the guy who uses a vintage 1996 E-Cat. Yeah, it's got to be my, my number two <laughs> E-Cat. though. Yeah, don't go home without it. <laughs> and the, uh, the old E-Glass, the red E-Glass. We're not using those anymore. Yeah, I, know. So much, cherry I, I still cherry love woods. that number two E-Cat. Like, you know, I don't know how many... How many kitties or sturgeon have been put through that thing? But I should just retire it, actually. Well, you've been speaking pretty highly about that new ugly stick that I let you try that carbon catfish. So we'll see if your new love moves to that one. Yeah, that's been a great rod. Up at Rockport in September of 2021, he gave me this prototype to try, and he said, see what you can do. Try to break this thing. And, I mean, I was up there with Jim, and there was a good bite. And I did everything I could to break that thing, and it didn't break. That's the first time I've ever had him hold a rod where he sent me a text and said, where do I buy this? <laughs> Well, that was my prototype. I had to do the report on it and send it back. I it broke. I don't know what happened to it. it well, if it broke, work. they really want it back. Definitely. Oh, well, I don't think you'd want to be in a boat with me if I ever broke that number two week out. No, I, I think I'd jump out. I, I, I don't want any part of it. Yeah, no, that would be a, that would be a tough one. I, like I say, I should retire that would be like a death in the family. We'd have to hug you and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brad, let's change this question a little bit for you. What's your most cherished piece of fishing equipment? What's what's your number two ECAT for you? Well, me? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Come on. I'm the guy who gets all the rods and tries all I know. the rods. I mean, a rod is a... My favorite rod right now is that seven-foot ugly stick. Yeah. And, you know, to be all honest, I don't like his E-Cat. <laughs> it doesn't feel right and never has to me. Um, the old Berkeley cherry wood, that was, my, that was my go-to. That was pre-guiding days, but, I mean, I still have two of them on the rack to, to be broke out. Um, I have a older Abu Garcia reel. 
that my uncle Daryl had for pike fishing, and that gets brought out about once a year and put on a rod just just to get a couple reps. And that one, no one is allowed to touch but me. So, I mean, as far as the equipment goes, that's that's one that, but that's for sentimental reasons. Okay. Um, no, I just, I guess I'm not that picky. I mean, I really like my ugly stick stuff. I mean, I don't leave home without an Abu Reel, as you know. Yeah. Oh, we've, and, been, uh, we've been running for those, and last year we actually cast from shore to shore all the way across the river with one. The old super reel. Oh hey, John, gosh. throw this and see what you think. <laughs> I flew forever. Like, I can cast a rod, but that thing took me to, like, pro level. Oh. Oh, it was. If you ever want to, I mean, that, that thing is, that thing is um, pretty outstanding. I, I threw it at the soccer field, and I stepped off 89 yards with a four-ounce sinker. <laughs> 270 feet almost yeah that's awesome you can launch that baby all right so now we're going to talk about bang for your buck right you're going to go fishing what is something you need to buy and it needs to be a worthy item what are you going to spend your money on or what are you going to get your best value on if you buy it um for fishing period don't care if it's rods reels electronics what's your bang for your buck item good sunglasses good sunglasses absolutely good sunglasses i mean i i can't even go outside without good sunglasses anymore in a full day it just drives me up the wall um that is one place where i will insist on having good quality gear is good sunglasses sweet mr Dawkins, what do you got bang for your buck i go a little simpler if i'm going fishing i want to make sure i have a good a good batch of jigs with me you okay. know, if i'm going to lake of the woods i want to have one of those gold mirror ball jigs and i better have three or four of them oh Hey, we called Brad one time. We were going to Lake of the Woods. We were going fishing early spring. It was Rich Thorpe and I. And I don't know if you were just up there. We just called you and we we're like, what do we take? And he's like, gold jigs. <laughs> okay, anything else? No, just take some gold jigs, just a handful of gold jigs. You'll be fine. Crushed it. It was great. Um, Rich got his first sturgeon that trip. He got pushed in the river that trip. <laughs> it was just a cluster, but it was great. Yeah, gold jigs on the Rainy River, Lake of the Woods. Let's go. Yeah, there used to be an old saying up there that any color works as long as it's gold. You know? I think it holds true also for ice fishing in my limited experience. Yeah, the gold jinx are, are real good. Um, what's new can we expect from Brad Derrick Outdoors and Red River Catfishing this season? New for me? Yeah, what what are we looking for? Well, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm ramping it up right now. I've got new, new Abu reels sitting in the basement, ready to go on. Everything's ready to go there. Uh, my old sun faded ratty seats are gone and recovered what? and ready to go. Um, not sure we're getting the new boat. So we're getting the old, the old girl fixed up one more time. She works well. And, uh, we're going to go from there, but, uh, no, we got, uh, Got some new gear. Got the seats cleaned up. The motor's running good. We're uh, we're ready to go. It's just waiting for the winter to get done and, and rock and roll. So there's lots of fish in the system. There was lots of fish last fall. So you know, a little bit of flood water. It's gonna rock. Mister Dawkins, what do you got planned for the summer? What articles are we looking forward to reading? Well, I don't know so much about articles. It's uh, I will say one thing I'm gonna have this summer is I have a boat with a brand new live well pump. And uh, it's uh, probably not going to sink me. Would you like to tell the story or shall I? (laughs) Why don't you tell (laughs) I'd like to hear this. You haven't heard this? No. So we, 
Well, he's been leery of his boat because he had some motor problems. He has a nice Yamaha yeah. on it, and Yamaha never fails. So, um, yeah, I didn't have trouble with the Yamaha. It was the, it was the motor I had before it. The Yamaha's been awesome. Right, Yamaha never fails. He's got the Yamaha, got the boat in town. Let's go fishing tonight. My boy was over at the taxidermy shops, so John, we saved that unicorn for you. <sighs> Unicorns are great. Yes, they are. So uh, I back him down. He backs the boat off. I don't know if it has been in the water yet this year is one, or is it the first time this season? That was the first okay, time. Okay, first time this season. Back him off, go park the truck, come down, and he goes, I think I'm taking on water, and the bilge is squirting, and I could see under his legs on behind the tiller that he's full of water already. So I ran up the hill, got the truck, we loaded it up. We're looking and looking and looking, and here the neck on the live well pump had broke off where it connects to the hull. And it was just cracked. You couldn't tell it was broken until we hit it and it fell in two. And fortunately, Oren was up at the shop, and fortunately, Oren likes me because I spend a lot of money there, I would think. (laughs) And... He got it all put in in about 15 minutes, tacked up. We launched it, and away we went. <laughs> yeah, <amazing laughs> Boy, did we catch fish. Yeah, we only lost about an hour. Yep. So that was, our, that was our almost sink in the boat story. But think about this. We were scheduled to go on a sturgeon trip last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, imagine if that was your first trip. And it, it was when that flooding on Rainy River and Lake of the Woods was just getting started, and we bagged the trip, and that would have happened on that trip. Bless I've, I've actually had really good luck with Lake of the Woods Marine up there. I've had issues twice during sturgeon fishing, by the way, that first trip of the year, because that's when it wears its ugly head. And both times they were, uh, one time I had to wait 24 hours, and the other time they had me in and out probably within an hour. Um, good. Same thing with Orn. If, if he gets backed up and busy, but if he can look at it, and sometimes he can, he can just tell you, hey, this is what you need, or this is what's going to do it. Yeah, we um, were so lucky that happened where it did and when it did. You know, because it ended up being one of those, you know, let's look back on this and laugh kind of things. But he said he'd seen this happen before. He said that, you know, I've seen several boats go blub, blub, blub just from this little, you know, situation. And it's something I never even would have thought of, but now I'm going to be checking it every time. Yeah, it's, you know, things happen. And, uh, oh, somebody had to go. Oh, yeah, here. You never buy it. You just rent it for a little while. <laughs> No, that was a that was a pretty good adventure. I'm just glad it didn't happen trying to sturgeon fish. I really am. So, um, but you know, Oren, he's a good sponsor of the Shields Boundary Battle. Um, he's gotten me taken care of spectacularly for many, many, many years. And uh, you know, sometimes you gotta wait, but the, the, the dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, he definitely does. What's the uh, What's the first time you guys ever fished together? That time we got ran over by the boat. Well, well no, actually, Fish Winnipeg. No, the first time was Fish Winnipeg when we ended up. That's where we met Jim. Yeah, Stinson up in Lockport. Yeah. Yep. That was the first time you guys fished together, huh? Because the guy that we were supposed to go with bailed, and the people that Jim was supposed to take fishing at this meeting event didn't show up. So we're standing on shore waiting for someone to take us fishing, and Jim is sitting in his boat waiting to have someone hop in his boat. So. The organizer said, well, you might as well just hop in with him, and uh, next thing you know, he's got at least two people in the boat that do what they were doing catfishing-wise, and uh, we ended up winning this media event. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first time, 2003. Yep. That was right after we 
Well, we met because he was uh, reporting on the new Lincoln boat landing that's been in there now for 20 years. Which was supposed to cause all kinds of problems, and uh, you know the opposition from some of the locals in that area. You would have thought they were talking about putting in a a snowmobile trail. <laughs> a snowmobile <laughs> trail, yeah, exactly. I wasn't going there. That's sorry, but uh, you know they they had all kinds of visions about all the problems this was going to cause, all the traffic, all the issues, and uh, I think it's been a great addition to the Greenway myself in a part of town that needed a boat ramp. I, I agree. I think it's a great boat ramp, good location. It's nice to have two ramps on that side of, of the dam. Um, getting into the dam, there's low head dams now completely through the Red River and a lot of the valley. Um, how has this changed? You guys have been fishing this river for 20 years together now. How has this changed the river for you guys? Well, to change your burbage, they're taking out the low Taking head. out the low head dam, sorry. So they're going to the Riffle Dam. Well, we still have one left for the short term. That's a work in progress. Yep. Yeah. Construction's um, underway. We have recorded a show with Nick Clute from the DNR, and he has a full update coming in a couple of weeks for you. But uh, that'll be the last one, and that's going to make – I think that's going to make catfishing better throughout the whole Red River. It should make walleye fishing better throughout the whole Red River, even though we don't want to talk about that. And uh, I think sturgeons are going to take off even more than they have. We've seen them a lot this past year. It's been it's been a real hot topic. People have been seeing them in Fargo below the dam. They've been caught. Somebody had one jump into their boat a couple of years ago. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. But uh, I think that if we don't have flooding long and we still have cold water this spring, I think it might be in our best interest to get the worms out and actually target them a little bit. It's, it's, it's on my agenda to give it a little bit of a shot. Um, and, and try our regular tactics on the rainy and find that spot and try and pull up a sturgeon through here. Well, I think it's it, it's got a good odds this year. If not in the red, you know, other rivers in the you know in the basin, you know, the Ottertail River, I guess, is becoming a bit of a go-to place to do that. And you know, last spring they documented sturgeon spawning in the Ottertail River. It was the first time in over a hundred years. It's a inc- that's amazing, incredible thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard of the Ottertail, and it, it's getting more and more popular for. For the sturgeon runs, and people are sticking to that area now. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know, because everything I've heard is the tributaries are—they're so crucial for you know those fish to spawn. And now they have access to some of those places they didn't have when they had low head dams, you know, blocking the way. So yeah, it's awesome. I'm told that if they can find a way to get that dam out at Nietzsche, that'll really ramp it up onto the Pemina River. That that'll really ramp up that spawning. So that could be interesting as well. Yeah. Have you guys talked about on the show all the different kinds of fish that are in the river? Not really, I guess. I, I mean, how many you get we've had crazy like seven species, nine species days. How many species have you guys got from the Red River here? Oh god. I'd have to add it up. Yeah, it would take a while. You know, I can't remember either exactly how many different species are in the red, but it's an incredible number. You know, like I said, I I would just be you know, Free balling to say what you know what what it would be, but it's uh, you know it, it's upwards of forty and maybe upwards of sixty, I believe. <laughs> I'm yeah that that they say there's seventy. Of course, you know I don't know how to catch a quillback carp sucker. Yeah. I want to catch one because they're cool, but I don't know how to go about it. I've caught a couple different daces that I don't know exactly what they are, but uh, you know smallmouth, largemouth. I saw a crappie last year i saw a bluegill two years ago um perch 
you know, the list goes on, things that you're just not thinking about. But I think there's some opportunity for these sturgeons if we, if we get in and look at them. I agree, I agree. Um, what natural baits in the river here that you guys are seeing a lot? And we've talked about this once or twice, but... Gold eye population's got to be really good. I'm sure the sucker population's pretty good. Um, one thing I really noticed this past year is bullheads. Lots and lots of bullheads. Tons of bullheads. We and I did not see bullheads for a fair amount of years prior to this past year. So I fished tributaries quite a bit of the Red River, and we've had bullheads now for like three years straight where they're just almost a problem when you're catching so many of them. Um, and one of the Laramore dams upstream, it's full of bullheads, so they're coming down and getting through there. But, yeah, lots of bullheads coming into the system the past couple of years. Bullheads make good bait, but they're not legal live bait, so you have to kill them first. Correct. That's what I have today. Jeremy, what do you have? He had a couple of beers. He's a happy man. <laughs> happy man. No, actually, I've been sitting back and just kind of listening to this conversation, you know, and, and it was one of those like, hey, man, talk about beer, you can take off. And, and you know, as being a person who is interested in fishing and learning how to fish, like half the time I, half the time I didn't really hear, like understand 75% of what you were saying, but there's bits and pieces of it that I picked up that it's one of those things that later on down the road when, you talk to me about something, and we'll be like, hey, wait a minute, I remember you said something about this, you know? And so I just try to categorize that information back deep in the vault of information that doesn't mean anything until the moment you need it. And maybe only that one moment you need it, but it's there. Um, but no, I, I definitely, I want to go fishing this summer. I would like to learn. So uh, we'll see what we can I'll, do. I'll bring some beer if you want to take me fishing. We'll see what we can do. Dale wants to run an ad, so let's let Dale run his ad here. Muskox, snowblowers, what do I got to do? Music volume up. Hey, if you move snow with a skid steer, you've got to see the muskox difference. A patented back drag feature allows operators to blow snow while back dragging in front of obstructions. You know, garage doors, siding, and fire hydrants. Now this saves time and money while lowering injury risk by decreasing manual labor. The optional dual auger, called the dually, helps the operator eat through big snowfalls, ice-crusted snow, and blow more snow while back dragging. And the glide plate, it allows you to glide over grass and gravel without ripping up the soft surfaces. Subsequently, create an instant torque on the lower cutting edge to break up snow and ice to better expose hard surfaces. See the muskox difference. Go to muskox.com or Facebook at muskox snowblowers or call 218-288-1905. See the difference for yourself. It's the muskox difference. And there we have it, the good people at Muskox. That's a pretty cool one. I kind of want one of those, especially now that I won't be able to shovel snow for a while. That's all I'm going to say about that. Mr. Falk, one last to-do before we shut her down because we're a little over time. All right. What's that? Well, I'm asking you. Oh, I got nothing. I've had a blast. Thanks for letting me come on. This is a good time. Appreciate it. I hope the viewers enjoy it as well. I know we've had some sound issues. I guess I'm seeing we're having some sound issues on the board now and uh that happens when you're dealing with media i guess so let's wrap this thing up remember our sponsors half brothers brewing cheers my friend cheers my friend thank you for having me. thunder rays auto brothers firearms musk ox snowblowers and chiller bait tanks between now and next week when we will have 
catfish heavy hitter Steve Douglas on from the Catfish Conference, so be sure to tune in next week. Uh, between now and then, check out Grand Fork's Best Source and their full list of shows at Grand Fork's, or gfbestsource.com. Dale has shows over there. If you'd like to see the archive shows from the past two seasons and the rest, the first part of this season, go to redrivercatfish.com, click on the podcast button. If you'd like to book a trip, look me up, enter a tournament, or whatever you'd like to do, find me at redrivercatfish.com on Facebook at Brad Durick Outdoors, Instagram at Brad Durick. And until then, for Catfish Best Source, we shall see you next week. Roll the music, Dale.